Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Shane Heron as a guest and he's anxiety specialist. I mean, specialist in helping people overcome anxiety, of course. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. Anxiety, isn't that a term that just started arising in like the 19th century and that that word never was in the books before the 19th century? Well, I think it's like something that comes into people's awareness and it's definitely more present in people's awareness now more than ever. Like for myself, I didn't even understand what anxiety was, even though I probably experienced it my whole entire life. And, you know, sometimes these labels can get stuck, which I'm not a massive fan of. But yeah, people are becoming more aware of it. But I think that's because consciousness is, is raising as well. People are becoming more aware of themselves as well. How would you describe anxiety? Because you kind of have the word angst in it, which is a bit linked to fear. But anxiety is not exactly the same as fear, right? Well, I mean, the, the way that I can describe it is anxiety is just a physiological response that we have when our stress levels are like an 8, 9, 10 out of 10. So when we're reaching our own personal limit, your nervous system basically just adjusts its energy. So it just kind of overstimulates your sympathetic nervous system and with that excess energy for the present moment. So because your mind doesn't know what's the difference between real and imagined, if you're thinking about all this stuff that you've got to get done and all these things that, you know, this scenario that may happen, your body, you know, naturally just goes, well, I'm going to provide you with the energy that you need to deal with that. Now, when you start experiencing that energy, that charge, that heart rate increasing, your, your breathing increasing, you feel that energy inside you, people then feel unsafe or it feels overwhelming because they feel way too energized for that present moment. So most of the time, it's just because we're feeling way too much energy that's needed for that moment. Generally, it's because we've got a lot of unresolved emotions underneath it and that is very energetically enhancing. But yes, it's just understanding that it's just a normal part of your system, but knowing how to kind of deal with it and just understanding that everybody experiences anxiety and it doesn't have to be some anxiety kind of disorder, but sometimes it's not so helpful in certain situations and that's something that we can always work on. Do you think people in history or in evolution actually had anxiety? Because I think partly it's because we have so much time or we can look so much in the future, we have so much choices. I can't imagine a guy in the savannah, he wasn't like being like anxious all the time. He was more in the present moment. He still was like fearful, but playing out all these scenarios that enhance the stress, I don't think it would, was there that much. It's like a, a first world problem almost, you know, because you have that kind of time to think. And like you mentioned, if you are kind of present in that moment because you're in a survival response, whatever, because you're actually surviving, you, you can't experience anxiety or kind of being attuned to that moment, which is quite ironic, really, because considering anxiety's, you know, it's geared around looking for safety or moving towards safety, being anxious, generally you're not being present. And then when you're not present, that's generally what's going to actually keep you safe in any situation that yeah, you're in. Yeah, probably in the Savannah, we were less secure than yeah. now, but now <laughs> we're more anxious than back then when it was more about real survival and real threats, you know? Well, when it actually is real threats and real survival, like an actual physical problem, we actually can get a finish to our fight or flight response. So mm. if we actually know there's a threat there, we know it's a physical thing, it's very easy for us to either fight it or run away from it and move towards a place of safety. When we have anxiety attached to our emotions, just because of conditioning how we felt unsafe to experience our emotions, it's a little bit difficult because it's not so easier to run away from yourself or to run away from your feelings. 
I like the quote, but I, I'm going to butcher the quote by Jung. What like, and and he does it like with meaning, but I sometimes use it with anxiety because I think there is a huge link between anxiety and using it as signposts towards things that are meaningful for you. So in a way, anxiety shows you where your potential lies, where your growth lies, which doesn't only mean the positive, but dealing with the negative can also be positive, right? Yeah, because there's always something that you are that is important to you on the offside of your life. I always say to people, if I was if I had any anxiety about running, I wouldn't care because I, you know, running does not appeal to me in, in what so shape, form, or whatsoever. And people can lose sight of whatever that thing is that actually do want behind it. And it's the same thing, like, say, for example, when I use, there's a process I use that uses this kind of tunnel metaphor. So when I'm working with a client and they're working on a particular emotion, resistance creates persistence, as we all know. So most of the reason why we're having these emotional problems is because we don't want to feel it. But with this tunnel metaphor, you're kind of going through the tunnel. And as you go through the tunnel, you're allowing yourself to feel it. But mentally, you're focusing on whatever's that light at the end of the tunnel. And because you're focusing on the light at the end of the tunnel, you're kind of moving towards it. You're not really focused on the actual pain or the discomfort of being in that tunnel or being in that emotion. So yeah, I, it's a really, really powerful thing to recognize. What is the thing behind this that's really important to me? Yeah, I like the quote, you cannot heal what you cannot feel. Mm. But when, when feelings have been shamed in the past or you were judged only by doing or getting results, it's, it's almost like, I mean, you're an INTJ, I'm an INTJ. There's a lot of uh, misconceptions about that. It's almost like learning the language of emotions. It's like me now learning Chinese. <laughs> well, as an actual INTJ, you, you know that emotions doesn't come natural to us. I literally had yeah. to learn emotions from the ground up, you know, where even, you know, relationships or partners I've had in the past, they've described and likened to me to be a robot. And they, mm -hmm. they've almost said that they've had to teach me how to be a human in certain situations. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I always say to people that if, if I can master or like learn to be emotionally intelligent, anybody can, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that's one of the hardest and painful things sometimes that they say that we don't have a heart. We do have a big heart, especially when our FI child introverted feeling is triggered, but we're just not so aware of people, their emotions or like social cues. I don't know if you have the same thing, like, dude, she's meeting you because she likes you. He's like, huh? What? <laughs> like yeah. yeah man it's super obvious and i'm like ah oh, i didn't notice that at all dude you really offended him huh what <laughs> I, uh, and they really I, think that i do it on purpose or want hurt not at all i'm just like very oblivious or very you know not aware i'm i'm super aware now because i've had to learn emotional intelligence to strengthen up my weak points but leading leading to that point you just made i remember years ago i was, was at a theme park with two of my other friends who was a couple and this, this girl that I was with, who was, she was actually the girlfriend of one of my sort of friends. And we just got on really, really well. And obviously, my friends could start, kind of see it, but it's like, she fancies the hell out of you, man. She's like, you two, there's so, so much chemistry. <laughs> and I was oblivious to it. Yeah. I was just like, you know, we just really got on real or anything like that. But it later kind of unfolded that, yeah, she definitely was massively into me. But I, just, I completely went way over my head at the time, you know? Yeah, and this is where I also got to know you through personality and Jungian analytical depth psychology. It was also one of the most mind-blowing things for me to get my personality, see my strengths, see my weaknesses, see my view, how I look at the world, understand how others look at the world. There's a lot of misconceptions about personality. But then I understood why I was different and why some things were difficult because people were forcing me to adapt the view and that was so difficult for me. And then I felt shame, like, why can't I do this? Why is this? There must be something wrong with me. 
And that's where we kind of shame ourselves, where we criticize ourselves because we believe that we need to fit in some mold or box. And we have to just remember that all of these kind of labels and stuff, they're just ideas and they're ideas to help us to understand things more than anything else. But nobody really fits in the box perfectly, you know, and we're not, we're not made to. And, and a lot of times, I don't know, I'm interested in your story, but a lot of times, like 90% people are judged and shamed for who they are. So then they just try to perform and it's not working. They're trying to get external fulfillment and then they hit their rock bottom. The universe is keep on giving them wake up calls. And then at a certain point is like, fuck this familiar village. I'm going to crawl out of this rock bottom because either I die or I'm going to let my identity die and move away from the village that doesn't understand me. Was that also kind of hero's journey for you? Or how did you, because often as coaches, we help people with what we struggled with ourselves, right? So how was your hero's journey from the underworld to where you are? I've, I've always kind of like, I've always kind of beat to the sound of my own drum. I've always kind of like stuck to kind of my own things, things. I've always kind of like not tried, I'm not cared about social acceptance, but there was maybe sort of poor self-esteem where I've wanted the validation and acceptance of others. Mostly this is from the kind of childhood wounds that we have where maybe we didn't receive the kind of love and attention that we needed to, or that we kind of wanted as a child. But I, I kind of just recognized that I was, I wasn't really kind of like happy, but I didn't know what made me happy in the first place. Mm. And it was that realization thinking, oh, when, and that was mostly when the first realization that I actually kind of had anxiety after I had these kind of panic attacks that I didn't really know was anxiety. After going to the hospital and them saying to me, I think you've actually got anxiety, blah, blah, blah. At the time, I think my life was pretty good on the surface. You know, I had a relationship that people was, you know, generally quite admirable sort of thing. They always used to think that we was like the perfect couple. I had a successful business. So I was making good money. But obviously, I was having some response. Obviously, there was something quite wrong. And it was more then where you start kind of reflecting and actually kind of start paying attention to yourself. That kind of really made the difference and recognizing when you are not happy within yourself but it mostly started with being always in self self-development and for a long time my kind of choice of self-development was bodybuilding so i'd work on my exterior i would look amazing i would look phenomenal and i could still never sort of see it so even though i'd be kind of like days out for competition i'd be looking in the mirror and i'd still look and point out what i kind of didn't like and it was just kind of like learning that where you kind of think what the fuck am i doing this for like what, what is the yeah. end result like what am i actually gaining from it and it was just, you know, working for over time is where you just start loving and accepting yourself. And, you know, now I look at myself and I love everything that I kind of see in the mirror. I might not be in as good shape, but I only got to that point where I actually realized all the work that I was doing on this external image to create this image to look great in front of other people, it never really was fulfilling. It never really kind of like made me feel a certain way. But that was, you know, that was the calling for me to start doing a lot of this inner work. And then when I started doing the inner work and started, you know, focusing on taking responsibility for my own needs and my own feelings, that's really when sort of the change started happening and everything else. Yeah, that's why I break it down and take first take personal responsibility, then speak your truth, and then make an impact. And I think first, especially men, they first want to take personal responsibility, which is consistency, hustle, structure, become competent, like, you know, to have the backpack of skills, the harness, you know, fighting. The journey of the wounded warrior, that's how I call it, until you're yeah. so exhausted from your wounds and then you see them as medals and you go inside. Then you speak your truth, find your core needs, find your values, find your personality, strengths and weaknesses, bring out the gift inside you, do the shadow work, the internal journey, and then make an impact again from you, friends and family, partner, and then the world. But I think that's a bit like the stages that most people go through, right? Yeah, definitely. 
it's just pretty much kind of like like where I'm at now. Like I wanna with what I'm sort of doing with the whole anxiety thing, it's more because it's it's needed, but it's like it's almost like my I, I need to give this gift to the world with the anxiety world because it's just missing. And so many people are just kind of just misguided and misdirected with certain things because there's a massive misunderstanding. And working through these things, it's it's a fairly simple process. And it's not easy, it's not comfortable, but the framework is fairly simple. And when you have a simple framework that anybody can apply to themselves, it makes everything a lot, lot easier for people because it's like, we're all the same, really. We all kind of breathe oxygen and we all kind of like respond in a similar kind of way. When we actually understand how the human body works and how the human mind works and how they correlate with each other, your life becomes so much easier because then it's not about the personal story that you're experiencing. It's just recognizing that your body's having a response and then how to then have healthier responses or to change the response that you're noticing yourself having. It's a lot of backwards thinking that I will also talk about with you about how people reason. And it's still a struggle for me, I'm going to admit it, to prioritize my own self-love and my internal journey and vulnerability and healing. Because a lot of times we have, once my business is okay, once I achieved enough, once I finally get that result, then I will do the internal journey and make time for it while it's actually backwards thinking. Once you do the internal journey, once you give yourself what you wanted to achieve in the first place without conditions, you will be more productive. You will have better results. Your business will go better. But it's hard maybe to go that internal journey because I still have that, but less than before. Mindset, cannot train mindset? How tangible is this? Can I change it? It's too hard. And when your body builds like, okay, I look fitter. Okay, I can lift more. You immediately see the results of the effort you put in, right? Yeah, and that's um, sometimes that's where people are like, what's, what's the point? I almost don't feel like there's, there's, a, there's a reason for it. And my girlfriend is kind of like similar in a way where sometimes there's still some emotional responses to things, but she's so strong minded and strong willed. She's like, well, it doesn't bother me. So why, why should I work on it almost like, cause it doesn't stop her from doing things, but we don't recognize that if that kind of energy is still inside us, it's still going to impact us to some degree. And that may be blocking certain things in our life from allowing it to kind of flow freely. And it's just understanding that, you know, when we listen to the body and use that body as a guidance rather than just trying to muscle through of our kind of masculine minds, you know, sometimes we have to have that kind of balance and, and listen to the language of the body and respond to it that way. Because then we don't have to be this, you know, just mentally forcing our way through to things, you know? Yeah, it's like, and you don't see this, uh, you don't hear this, or you the podcast, or you don't see this. It's like, you know, like, why can't I let go? Why can't I let go? Why can't I let go? Because you're still holding on to it. <laughs> but that's hard for a man like okay how do i do it what's the tactics what's the step like no man it's uh, leaving space it's uh, being present so when will it finally be dissolved and can i can i get that no you just like be with it and it's okay and work with it and go through the process yes but what's the result what's the like you still want to put it in a mental box uh, get there quick a to z, z you know and that's why probably you're female clients will probably be better or you can easier go deeper with them than with men yeah, there's really more kind of flowing. They're, they're generally more in tune with themselves when we're kind of like asking leading questions. They, they generally have an answer for it. And you know, it actually kind of brings to mind a male client of mine that I've had recently where it was like, there was, it's trying to achieve this outcome, trying to get to this kind of solution. It's like, you know, is this not working because we're not getting to this solution? And just like you alluded to, sometimes it's just being with it and not having an intention or an attachment to the outcome. And ultimately, that's what it's about. You know, it's not about making feelings go away, anything like that. But it's being able to create space to safely experience all of that we are and every emotion that we experience, because that is the human experience. But 
when our vulnerability has been met with either judgment, shame, criticism, or just a lack of compassion, we stop ourselves from, from being vulnerable. We create these stories of being vulnerable is weak, or you know, it's, we're being too sensitive, or you know, we need to protect ourselves. And for a lot of us, yeah, maybe that was exactly what we need to do in the past. And especially at school, you know, I don't know about you, but school was never a great place for me. You know, School for INTJs <laughs> is completely freaking useless. You, I yeah. just have to memorize something, give me the book. And at the end of the year, I will show up and pass the test, you know. That's it. And that's how I, I pretty much kind of winged things with things. But it's, uh, yeah, it's just recognizing that maybe fitting in and not being vulnerable was what you need to do at school to survive and not get bullied. But as an adult, you know, as, as to truly experience life as the authentic human being that you are, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and, and just allow yourself the space to be able to do so. I think we're not wired as a society. We also see it in the COVID and it begins with an S and C and it ends with an M that people don't know how to deal with the negative aspects in life anymore because dealing with anxiety is not poof, anxiety is the way. It's not about, oh, no challenges, no frustration anymore. It's changing your relationships with them a shadow won't go away it's still there but you learn how to dance with it you know relate with it better it's not like oh let's shelter from all the negative aspect no more sickness no more death because yeah. ooh, that's horrible and not a part of life well that, that's one of the biggest obstacles that i have with with my clients because a lot of people initially very early in your healing journey often what's happening is someone's experiencing anxiety often say for example panic attack and they just want the feeling to go away and this is why I don't do single sessions because I, I can do that. I can make that feeling go away and you're going to feel so much better. But then often when you've removed that pain, it's like, well, no, and I don't need to do anything now. I don't need to change. Versus, you know, my whole approach to things is like, no, if you want to deal with this anxiety, you're going to have to change your whole different relationship with yourself. You're going to have to change your whole different relationship and approach to life and how you're kind of treating yourself, how you connect with yourself, how you listen to yourself, how you're you know, essentially looking after yourself and loving yourself. But that sounds like a lot of work for a lot of people. A lot of people are like, oh, it sounds like I'm not quite sure about that. What? Just, I can take personal yeah. responsibility and actually be in control of, of my circumstances and relate with them. Give me something that I'm a victim and dependent on something outside of myself, please. Exactly. And, and we all, you know, we're all kind of um, guilty of making the easier choices in life. But um, sometimes you have to make the, the best choices in life, not so much the easiest choices, you know? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but my mission never was, I mean, yeah, happiness is fine, but I think happiness sometimes creates a lot of unhappiness, but always having that as a default line for me, it's also meaning fulfillment. And yeah, there's also meaning and fulfillment of challenges of some negative emotions that make me value the positive emotions or positive moments. So for me, it's much more about harmony, integration, finding balance between that and always having that false comfort or chasing happiness. And that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, happiness is a twist, really. You can be in a, in a, you know, I'm sure people experience this. If they've been on holiday to like third world countries and stuff, sometimes you see the happiest people with the littlest things. And it comes down to mindset and mostly gratitude. Gratitude is a huge, huge thing for me. The more I've experienced or expressed gratitude for things in my life, the more fulfilling my life has actually seemed. And looking back to those times where I was kind of experiencing really bad anxiety, well, I kind of didn't even know it was. I, like I said, I had, my life was going quite well, but I, I can't say I was truly really grateful for what I was experiencing. But it's uh, sometimes we have to go for that learning or that life lesson of losing things to kind of make you truly appreciate what you do have, you know? It's like there is always that, that, that gold and that wisdom in the pains and the pitfalls in life.
maybe you could give an example. I always find it like inspirational, certain things you had an anxiety about or anxious about. What were some core wounds behind? My core wounds have always been uh, rejection, when you feel fears of abandonment. I think a lot of people have, you know, probably from our parental wounds when we were younger. And that generally plays out in relationships. So, you know, it generally plays out in relationships for, for me, where you end up being very codependent. You lose your sense of identity. You, you don't know who you are. You become almost, almost just not a human anymore. You almost kind of mold into this, this being of where you're just kind of just going with the flow or kind of just, you know, whatever the other person wants. And it was, it was, it was a real kind of like shock almost when I was, I was, I was dating a girl sort of early in the year, not too long ago. And often she would kind of really put me on the spot and be like, what do you want? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know. She, and, and she wouldn't mm. accept, I don't know. She's like, no, 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 you're going to answer me sort of thing. I want you to really mm. think about it and tell me what you want. And that was such a, a scary thing for me to actually yeah. think about what I want and then express it. And recognizing that pattern, recognizing that I found it uncomfortable to kind of actually recognize what my feelings and needs were and actually to ask or express for it. You know, that was... You know, generally comes down to because if we we fear if we our values or our, sorry if we fear that our needs are expressed that we may get rejected and we may lose that kind of that attachment and that that was probably what most of my anxiety was around but I didn't recognize it because it was so normal to me it was so normal because what your foundation of your relationships are built on from your parental relationships as a child when those are not the healthiest relationships to be based on. When you're now fulfilling those or matching those relationships in your adult relationships, you don't recognize those red flags because it's so normal, it's so comfortable, it's so certain because you're so used to it that you don't recognize the uncomfortable patterns you have. But what people do recognize is they go, oh, now all of a sudden I'm having anxiety and I don't know why I'm having anxiety. I'm now having panic attacks. And it's like, yeah, your body's telling you that you're not fucking happy and you're not aligned and you're not speaking your truth. You're not expressing your needs. Your feelings aren't being kind of valued or respected because you're, you know, you're abandoning and rejecting yourself, which is the irony of it. Because when we have these patterns and we're looking mm. for that attachment for everyone else, we end up rejecting and abandoning ourselves. So what we truly fear we're already doing, and it just basically just delays the inevitable of recognizing that these, these situations can't carry on, these relationships can't ever be happy and fulfilling yeah i have i'm a bit in the same stage as you are right now i more have and an had an enmeshment pattern which means not taking responsibility for my feelings but how the other person feels i'm totally responsible for yeah. it <laughs> especially when it's negative then okay yeah i project all that shame and guilt on myself internal conversations with myself and then i project it and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy while a lot of times especially men women just want you to Speak your truth, you know, lead a bit, you know, also choose for yourself because that's very attractive. But yeah, to then open up, especially as an INTJ, to then be dependent on people again, I mean, not dependent, but it can be perceived that way. It's scary because we are often misunderstood. And then to develop that trust again and say like, okay, I'm going to be dependent again and open up again. You know, we, 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 we either close ourselves off by not being dependent. And then when there's one, one person, oh yeah, then, ah, oh, we open up the gates and we're totally dependent on this person and totally take care of how the person feels. And she first has to feel good before I allow myself to be good enough. I don't know if you have this pattern, but I definitely have and had, had this pattern. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, a fear of, of being vulnerable, mostly, you know, because we, we kind of don't want to be vulnerable. So I, we like doing all the things ourselves. And I don't, I often in the past, I've not trusted anyone to do anything. So I, I just do everything myself. 
don't ask for help. And, you know, even sort of doing this kind of work, all of my therapy that I've kind of done, it's all been self inflicted. I've kind of worked with people, but I've never actually kind of like signed up to work with people because I think there is always that part where it's like, I'll kind of do it myself. But recognizing that there is massive, massive downfalls in that where I can't see my blind spots sometimes, you know, I, I need to, everybody needs to be held, emotionally held to be able to kind of like work through certain things. Because if you didn't have the ability to hold space for yourself when it kind of happened, you're not going to magically become that person. And it's, it's very difficult to be in that two mind states of holding space for yourself and surrendering completely and being vulnerable to the experience. You can't do that with yourself. You know, you have to be able to do that with somebody else. But that's a very hard point to get to, especially as an INTJ, because it is really, really kind of being open and, and vulnerable. Yeah, that's what I, when I paint that hero's journey, first from leaving the familiar tribe, going to the dark forest, finding your gift, the journey of the wounded warrior, laying your sword down, seeing that you cultivate a lot of things. You left the, the community that judged you for who you were and you felt betrayed by your social circle. But then the other part comes from bringing your gift again to a social circle of like-minded people who care about you and not just stay on the mountain and think like, these people will never understand me. They will betray you, right? Like just coming back, the homecoming, that's again yeah. the second scary part. You know, that's again healing wounds from the past. Because a lot of people don't really see us, right? A lot of people kind of really don't see the depths of things and people just don't get me. And, and, and that's absolutely fine because people can only meet at the depth that they've met themselves. But when somebody does meet you and they actually kind of see you and witness your values, and you're like, oh, fucking hell, like, it's almost like you're, you're like a golden nugget. Like, I, and then you get so attached, you're like, I need to grab hold of this person because you can actually kind of like see me. I'm like, cause otherwise you feel invisible and, you know, not being seen is, is such a, such a like problem in society because we all need to be seen. We all need to be heard and we all need to kind of actually go, oh, I can see you. I can actually kind of witness and appreciate as men, we need to feel respected. We need to feel appreciated. It's a really big part that I think is a lot of missing in society that kind of that people miss with men, especially like women. If, if you can appreciate your man and, and, and respect him, he will, will, you know, he will do a lot for you. But it's, it's definitely a need that I've kind of needed. And thing that I've yeah, kind of missed the best well. way to build, if you want to make a man is a cock heart, the best way to do it is have a man feel confident. And the best way to have a man feel confident is to give him respect and recognition. So that's a yeah. subtle way how you can cultivate a man who cares about you, but is also a strong, confident leader, you know? That's it, letting him lead and surrendering and trusting, which is obviously a hard thing to do as well. When I mean, people have, have still got their stuff to work through because... You can't open yourself up to vulnerability and let someone else lead you if you still feel guarded and closed off, which, you know, especially for myself and, and I was very guarded for a long time in my life. And a lot of people used to think I was just really, really miserable, but I was just closed off. I was just disconnected from my heart. I was very much kind of in my head and people wouldn't know who I was. People would never know who I was. And it was always the same kind of comment, the same kind of feedback where I'd kind of get to know someone where it'd be like a friend or something and like, nobody gets to see this version of me. It's a very kind of like rare thing unless I'm kind of really close to somebody, but it was learning to open up and be more of yourself just overall where you feel safe enough to, to be seen, you feel safe enough to, to be yourself without worrying about judgment or criticism, you know? And this is also the thing that it relates with what you said before, self-development doesn't just mean developing by yourself. Yeah. Self-development is also developing yourself in connection with others. There's certain blind spots that you're just not willing to face or you just don't see so you need like people you connect with safe space 
connection, but th- there's a huge growth there, right? This is also why a part of me now want to be more in a devoted relationship, maybe be a father figure, because I developed so much already by myself, which is good. But I, do I see the second half of my life just more of the same or not? Just because something got me to the place where I'm at doesn't mean that it will get me to more growth or another place I would love to be. That's why I love unique experiences, because, you know, if I've done something already, I've, I've tried to learn as much as I can from a certain thing. And I've always been kind of growth minded. So I'm almost like, okay, cool. Let's, let's almost kind of like give this kind of like <laughs> the father thing, this family thing go, because that's not my current experience. Because mm-hmm. I know that there's so much growth to be had in that, that area. And for most people, the biggest learning, the biggest wake up call for them is having a child because... Mm-hmm. That is a little version of them and all of your little patterns that you're not aware of starts coming out in your children. I had this conversation with someone who was triggered by saying like, you can't develop, become a fully developed man unless you become a father figure. Why? You first see these patterns being triggered by your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And that's certain aspects, blind spots that you don't see. But then when you have a child, you again see certain patterns yeah. from you, from <laughs> you as a child, from your parents right to your child, how you relate to the child. So there's again, so many undiscovered things about yourself that again you see projected and you can learn from yeah so it's it's one of the best kind of learning experiences i guess because like i said we never really fully conscious of ourselves or you know that is the goal it's what i'm generally working towards that is my aim i try to be but we still all have our blind spots of our patterns but when you notice the pattern that somebody else has probably picked up from you and it frustrates you and annoys you because you're like i don't like this pattern somebody else you recognize Ah, they, you know, that is my pan. And then it, again, it brings that personal responsibility. But it's also the reason as well, like I get so many parents kind of message me about, can you help my, my child with their anxiety, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I can, I can, I can help them. But I have to help you first. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the children's pattern of anxiety is that they're just mirroring and learning your patterns of how you deal with life and your emotions. And, you know, I'm pissing against the wind if I'm working with them and not yourself. But because there's such an element of judgment and criticism and shame that they feel like, you know, guilty for, for passing on this This is the first thing that I think, and I have it also with my clients when they work on mindset and they have an epiphany that then again, they have a covered emotion like, fuck, why haven't I done this before? I could have done this soon with et cetera. You know, it's like, yeah, you could have also not done it and not even (laughs) have this insight and not be so far, but they have to first go through that isolate of shame and guilt because they they blame them themselves again to put even yeah. more pressure on themselves shame is such an insidious emotion and it's it's just recognizing that sometimes shame is a big emotion when you kind of use the word shame but if we kind of just use judgment mm-hmm. we judge ourselves all the fucking time where we attach a certain story to an experience or whatever we are experiencing and when you can practice that observation to be able to zoom out and recognize the judgments that you make in every moment you start becoming so much more self-aware because we, we just bullshit ourselves 24-7. None of our stories are 100% true. But when you can actually recognize the stories you're telling yourself about yourself, about other people, about the world at large, that's really when you start taking back your personal power because how you feel is all based on the stories that you're telling yourself. Yeah, and, and this is also sometimes when you talk to people, they, they argue from a problem instead of looking at the uh, conclu- uh, solution. Or, and I've totally been guilty of it, and most INTJs are guilty of it, like black and white thinking, immediately mm-hmm. jumping to a black conclusion, not giving people the benefit of the doubt instead of the doubt uh, of the, you know, benefit and, and, and saying like, okay, I don't know what this happens here, this person, something must have happened, let me explore this. No, bam, like immediately black and white, you know, like cutting things off and 
And a lot now I'm much more try to be much more gentle because a protection mechanism. Let me just jump to that worst case scenario. In the past, I remember going on a date. She will not like me, and then she didn't like me. Oh, see, I was right. I had control, but already give myself that negative feeling and experience in advance. Yeah. So uh, often with anxiety, we have a lot of self sabotage patterns where we're sabotaging, but really it's self protection. So I, I, I still witness these patterns in myself. You know, the more you open up, the more you kind of open your heart up to love or the more vulnerable you are, you know, the more of these kind of patterns emerge because you're putting yourself in a situation where you make it hurt. So often what we do is we, we kind of looking out for the, those signs so that we can go, see, I knew it, I can end things. And then we can then that if we've kind of conditioned, if we've been hurt in the past relationships, there is some learning there, some belief, some rule where we may think relationships are unsafe. So when we have that in the back of mind, we, we, we know that it's not necessarily 100% true, but when it's still sitting there because of some unresolved emotion or some unresolved feelings still, it's like we're waiting for that, that penny to drop, to be like, see, I knew it. And that way I can protect myself by just ending it and just destroying things. And I, I, I do that sort of like, but it's just being able to catch yourself and think, are you, are you literally about to kind of like, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to end this thing for this really? But we never really do. Totally door slamming yeah. people. And it's yeah. like, your debts to me. And it's like, damn, whoa, I can be pretty harsh. That's a thing of an idea. Like, dude, whoa, I can like numb my emotions out so much. Or just like not being able to handle the ambiguity of situations. Just so much like being in control and having clarity there that it really becomes a vice, not a virtue at all. Yeah. Well, I remember with one of the last kind of relationships that I was kind of like dating someone and, and we both got triggered in a situation. And in that situation, I think I pretty much turned around and said, well, you know, if you can't go over this, just end things. And I didn't mean it at all. I didn't mean it. Like in that moment, just the heat of the moment, I was like self-sabotaging. I was basically like, let's just fucking things, things. And, you know, I think almost being so willing to end things makes someone with anxious attachment style very unsafe. And that, that lack of safety then makes them sabotage. Go, cool, let's do this. Then let's just end things. Because now I feel unsafe in your... I'm always curious about how you do it because I can create a scenario that I would have done or sometimes I have is, let's say I have a conflict with my girlfriend and I feel she says something, but it all bottles up. She's been penting up like evidence that she say like, it's fine, it's fine. And it, it builds up and then it comes out and there's so much tension. And then I blame myself so much about, oh my God, I'm a loser. You know, I didn't do well. And then I go outside and I'm just like, you know, so low in energy, so much hatred and blaming myself. What do you think I first should do in that situation? So what was the situation? Was Let's say again? I have a conflict with my girlfriend and mm -hmm. yeah, she said some things that were like painful. I mostly do the opposite of what I do. Just stay silent and then have my internal conversation and I blame myself, Let's feel self-loathing, feel low energy. And I go outside and a part of me wants to fix it, but I can't handle that anxiety, that stress, that negative self-talk. Knowing everything that you know, what is the first step or what are some things that I should focus on the first in that scenario. So this, this applies to absolutely every situation because what everybody focuses on is the story. Everyone focusing on the actual thing itself. But the most important thing that we need to do is essentially two questions. Ask yourself in this scenario, in this fall, wherever this fall is, how do I actually feel about it? What emotions do I feel? And as an INTJ, we, you know, that takes me a long time to actually figure out what it is that I feel. Generally, I'll just sit there ruminating on the thought and think, how do I just provide a solution to this situation in this scenario? Because mm -hmm. we're very much solution-minded. And or how do I fix this? Or how do I change this so this doesn't happen again? Mm -hmm. That's typically how our kind of minds work. 
But in any situation where you're kind of doing whatever you're kind of doing, those two questions is, what do I feel in this moment? And then what do I need in this moment? Mm -hmm. And when we actually start meeting the need of the emotion, regardless of whatever the situation is, and we start taking responsibility for that, we start then changing how we feel about it because we start, that's how the only way that you're going to process those emotions because often these scenarios will play out however they're meant to play out because you're attracting that scenario to happen because your body wants you to feel this emotion. So whether it's whatever the story you're creating in your mind that's attached to it or whether it's just you're actually manifesting a situation to actually happen, I've noticed this, where I notice the pattern play out. I'm like, this pattern, I, I seem to be doing this life pattern. You know, I'm like, I've noticed that I'm doing this. I've noticed that this situation keeps happening. And it, whenever it does, there's always two, whenever you notice a pattern in life, there's always two reasons for it. Because you still feel a certain way about it and there's a lesson to be learned. And generally that you're not going to learn the lesson until you clear the emotions, because when you have certain emotions about it, you're only going to see it through the lens of the emotion. But it's a hard step or a hard ability to even recognize that you even have feelings about a certain scenario. More so, like I said, or that we kind of discussed, that it's very easy to be stuck in the mindset of, oh, this problem, what's the solution? What can I do to change it? Which is great. We do need that. We do need to be taking action towards whatever it is that we need to fix because that is often a big part that people miss. They miss the actual taking action part. But there's also that kind of addressing the emotions part and being able to actually recognize how we feel and learning to meet our own emotional needs, which is a huge, huge lesson for myself. Yeah, this was very useful for me as someone who's less in touch with their emotions. For me, nonviolent communication was a useful way to, if you really don't find a good way to experience or express your emotions, just go to the need. And then yeah. maybe in a conflict, like, you know, when this happens, you don't project like you made me feel, no, like I, I needed this. I see. Uh, because it reminds me of this or this is important to me, etc. And then you check in with the other, like, like, how does that make you feel? Or, 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 or what do you think about this? Or how do you see this? Like you, you create like a mutual understanding and communication where you don't judge the other, how they make you feel or what you need, but you communicate like the pattern and the need that you have that a person can at least understand what you value. Yeah, I think that we, we, we respect other people's feelings more so than we respect people's like behavior or say, for example, if they've mm -hmm. said, You're, you know, I want you to stop doing this, blah, blah, like, if they said to you that, like when they're leading you, nobody wants to be led. Nobody wants to be told what to do. But if somebody said, I, I feel this way, sometimes that may make you go, you know what, I respect your feelings and, and maybe I can recognize the behavior that I have had an impact on those feelings versus someone saying that they're not happy with someone's, how someone's responding, you know? You also said that most therapy is counterproductive and that therapy doesn't have to be sitting on a couch for three years and four yeah. years. Therapy can re-traumatize a person. So I, I have this, I had this experience once a few years ago when I was just first kind of doing this kind of work. And this, this girl had come in, she came into my office and she, she sat down. As soon as she sat down, she started reading off her life story. Like, you know, this is typically what people do. They go into story mode. And this is probably what most people expect to happen in a, in a therapist's office. I'm going to tell you everything about me and then, you know, you're going to make me feel better and then it's all going to go away. And I, I kind of knew that that wasn't the right thing to do in that moment because typically as soon as you get into something, they get into activated. But often sometimes people need to just be heard. So I kind of like let her run and I didn't take control of the situation and I recognize that now and I didn't kind of lead in, in that situation. 
But essentially what had happened, as someone's kind of speaking about their life story, every single time they think about something, they're lighting up that neural network in their body, their emotional yes. response is being activated, their nervous system is now being activated with each and every different thing they're thinking about. And basically what's happened is she was stacking all of these different stories mm. in her body and she got to a point where she overwhelmed her own nervous system and she had to pretty much run out of the room. Because when it, I was like, okay, cool, let's work on this. She's like, I can't, I'm too overwhelmed. I, I had the same thing when I once uh, again went to a psychoanalytical therapist, like, tell me how bad it was. Oh, it was bad. And how did you feel? You It made me feel really bad and it was painful, yeah. right? Oh, it was super painful. Tell me about the pain. And then it's like, like four or five sessions just digging in the pain and the awareness was there and the insight was there but it's like yeah and then at the end like yeah you have a lot of pain there and stuff like yeah i know i'm aware of this like what are we doing here well i mean that that like if i had to do that as a job like i would be pretty depressed myself you know listening to things this misery all this time so like now i, I recognize from that that learning lesson i was like right never allow, allow something to get into the story because the story isn't what's important people know what the problem is it's allowing them to actually go, okay, you know what the thing is. When you think about it, your body has a response. Now, when we're focusing on the response and what you're feeling, we're not caught up in the story. And then we can actually address what the real issue is, how you feel about a certain situation and that, how that feeling hasn't been addressed or hasn't been resolved yet. Isn't it hard sometimes to coach people who are anxious because they're anxious to talk about their problems, anxious to invest in your coaching, anxious during the coaching? I mean, I honor what you do. I did it with people who are procrastinating and you procrastinate yeah. on getting in touch with me, procrastinate <laughs> on booking a call, procrastinating getting started, procrastinating during the coaching. So I honor people who work with these patterns that will also manifest during the entire coaching, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is difficult because when you're in that state of anxiety, you're not open for change. You're not open to actually changing your mind. You're not open for reaching out for help. You're closed off. You're disconnected. You're not open to connect with anyone you're not open to trust your communication goes out the window because that part of your brain is shut down so it's like just being in that anxious state makes reaching out for therapy like the opposite thing of anybody really wants to do or feels comfortable things it feels so unnatural so it does make things really difficult but the more you can kind of communicate that and hopefully you can answer people's questions before they've even noticed they've had it so a lot of times people fear that they're going to be judged. Um, a lot of people fear that their problems aren't big enough because like, oh, they invalidate their experience. Like, oh, you know, I don't really know what to say. The great thing is with what I do, I, I don't even need you to tell me about anything. I don't even need to tell me what it's even about. You know that there's something that bothers you, whether it's a thought that bothers you or a situation that bothers you or that you feel a certain way. I don't need to know whatever it is at all because all I do is create the, the framework and the space to allow you to explore yourself, which you know what the problem is. And then go guiding you to the point where that you need to get to the point to heal, to get through it. And I don't need to be kind of like hearing your story because the more someone spends in times of story, and a lot of times people naturally do this, they go into story mode, they go, oh, well, they was doing this, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you have to just stop people and cut them off and just go, I don't- I had the don't same thing with story. a friend who was like a, an ex and it doesn't work out and he keeps on stuff. And what do people think it, et cetera. And I as an anti-J have something like, why do you keep investing energy in this story? Why do you keep repeating this? It may be a beautiful thing that wasn't meant to be, but cherish those moments. But why are you? I mean, that's, that's one that's part of the experience. And then a story about the experience. And it's like, how much pain are you getting from the experience? Or how much from the story? Yeah. What people don't recognize is, is everything we do, every behavior we do has an intention behind it. So repeating this story, and, and I'm always very self-aware of my patterns and other people's patterns. When people are repeating that pattern, when they keep going into the story, it's like going, okay, You've been repeating a story. You probably repeat the stories to other people, right? In your life, they go, "Yeah, yeah." I'm like, "Well, 
you're still repeating a story. So whatever the intention is behind te- to repeating a story, it hasn't obviously worked because you're, you're still doing it. So when we recognize mm. that when we're repeating a story, what we think is that we're looking for a solution, but what it really is, is your body's trying to get you to pay attention to how you feel. And we think it's about this thing, scenario that we keep thinking about, because I've done it numerous times, typically in relations or relationships, sorry, when, you know, the certain issue or certain ruptures happened, I'll be thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And it won't be until, you know, a long time later when I actually go, huh, how do I feel about it? What's my body mm. actually saying to me about it? And as soon as you start listening to the body and actually kind of tuning into it, which feels kind of scary, feels kind of overwhelming if you're not kind of used to this sometimes, you actually start recognizing, ah, actually I feel X, whatever that emotion is. And a lot often that emotion isn't maybe what you expect it to be. It's been a situation kind of like recently where I kind of got triggered, got activated. And when I sat with it, I was like, ah, the actual emotion is actually shame. And I wouldn't have actually thought I was feeling shameful in that situation. But as I thought about this, this, the thought, whatever the thought was, as I listen to the body, I recognize what the feeling was. And when we can recognize what the feeling is, then we can start addressing whatever that we need to respond to that feeling. So if I'm feeling shame, what does my body need in this moment? And it's not something for you to know, it's something for you to listen. And when you actually communicate with your body and listen to yourself and tune into your own body's wisdom, your own body's intuition, you will get an answer. You get an idea, you get a thought. And then you start kind of meeting that need, the feeling goes away. And then all of a sudden, when the feeling goes away, you can actually process it and let it go. Now, when you think about whatever that story was, you don't care. Like, oh, it's just something that happened, not something that happened to me. Not so personal because now you've resolved the emotions. And as soon as you've resolved the emotions, generally that's when you will learn the lesson from the scenario because the reason why you're repeating the scenario in the first place is because you needed to learn a lesson. And sometimes that's the most difficult part because often learning the lesson is observing what part we played in the scenario. And it's sometimes hard to recognize the part that you played because that obviously brings in judgment, criticism, shame sometimes. And ultimately the only person, like I always say to my clients, if you want your life to change, the only person that needs to change is you, not your situation, not everyone around you, but something in you needs to change. And you also said the parts you play and something that's been very influential for me is like voice dialogue of the parts in your head. So one thing is the emotions, but one part is also like, oh yeah, that is the anxious perfectionist taking the shit stage again and dominating (laughs) every fun. So you can go through your sideshow. I'm going to take you off stage. I know that you need something, but stop yelling with a freaking megaphone on stage because we have the playful romantic we have you know like the caring coach there we also would love to have this stage okay i know what you need you will be taken care of but i see don't let it also completely take over me because that pattern that character that part that's just one aspect but i can retreat into story and the monologue and then he's on stage all the time and he's even boring himself he'll even know that it's not working but still he keeps on repeating it it's recognizing that sometimes when a pattern or a part of us is turning up and responding to a situation, the automatic part that deals with that situation typically is the part that got created when you first experienced maybe that situation and mm. you learned how to respond to that situation. Now, the lesson isn't to kind of make any judgment or trying to change that part of you, but sometimes what it is is your body saying, hey, we, we're noticing this reaction. We need you, the captain, to take control and, go and, and be the person you need to be in this situation. But you need to figure out who that version is and what part of you needs to be taken over. Because otherwise, your automatic parts take over. And sometimes these are very young, immature, less resourceful parts of us 
that only know how they learn how to respond to survive in that moment. Yeah, the Not coping strategy fly. became yeah. their one strategy. Well, that strategy maybe have been the only one, but if it fulfills the needs, if you look at the need level, you have many strategies to do it. Instead of those fragmented selves that still have that childlike coping pattern that they can parent now, that they can now choose something different. Yeah, and, and that, you know, that parenting, that's what it is. You're parenting yourself. So when a part of you is playing out, sometimes an anxious part will take over. And that is, you know, an anxious part of you's turned up and they're taken over in this situation. So when we can comfort and meet the needs of the anxious part, but at the same time, take conscious control and be like, no, I need to be the hero of my own story and be the hero in this situation. We're parenting ourselves in that moment. We're taking responsibility. We're taking charge. We're taking ownership. And we're being who we need to be. And sometimes that's difficult and sometimes we don't know how we need to be or we don't know how to be that person that we need to be. But that just takes practice. And sometimes you some kind of almost like fake it until you make it. You're going to get better at it as long as you commit to it and being willing to, to suck. You know, one of the reasons why I've been able to grow and, and be successful in terms of what I do is because I've been willing to, to be not very good at it. You know, making videos, putting content out on YouTube, putting uh, so on social media, sorry. And, you know, I, I had a friend kind of message me the other day because he's been on social media for a long time. And he's like, wow, the difference in your videos now in terms of when you're kind of putting things up compared to when you first made them, it's a world of difference. I'm like, yeah, I, I look back at them and it's embarrassing. It was like, it's so many awkwardness, so many ums and ahs. Yeah. But I only got decent at it by sucking at it for a very long time. But it's just willing to just go, you know what? I've got a goal and I'm just working towards this goal. And as long as you're consistent you're gonna generally get better yeah, and also embodying your mission and speaking your truth finding your strengths not trying to become a copy of a copy getting the results that what you do really matters also improves it right i talked about it like online with this backwards thinking sometimes that i also had when i was a high performance coach yeah when i'll have more time then i'll hire a productivity yeah. coach when i have yeah. more sales i will invest in you as a sales coach when i'm less overwhelmed and anxious i will invest in an anxiety coach and like a part of yourself it's not like getting the sale it's helping people see that they can shift their identity helping them overcome limiting beliefs be their visionary advocate but the brain is wired that it measures what it can lose not what it can gain because it doesn't have evidence yet that makes it so hard sometimes to believe in something that is not yet manifested yeah we have that confirmation bias where we never look to prove ourselves wrong because again that brings us judgment and shame so we always look for the confirmation that we're right and a lot of people don't even recognize the rules and beliefs that they're living their life by. So, you know, often people have this kind of belief that there's something wrong with them, that isn't them inherently broken, or there's, there's actually an issue, not, not recognizing that what they're experiencing is exactly what they're meant to be experiencing, or they have a belief that nothing works and that they're stuck. And sometimes this has been, you know, delivered by health professionals or doctors or, you know, therapists where they're like, no, no, this is a lifelong condition that you now have. I fucking hate that because people, it becomes like, this badge now that they wear that like, no, this is my identity now. This is who I am. But it's not true at all. You know, everybody can change. Everybody sort of can heal. But it's recognizing, like I said, the stories that you're telling yourself and what are you proving true? What are you kind of like not challenging? Because it's scary changing things. It's actually kind of scary challenging your- It's even scary to change things that are negative for you, but familiar, which is weird for people to hear. Yes, the familiarity and the predictability, you like it more than creating something new, which probably would be better for you. I think a lot of time that's people's fear of success because, you know, I know my life now. I know what to expect. I know I'm comfortable in this scenario. If I all of a sudden now started having a completely different experience or having a lot of money sort of things, I don't know how to be that person or, or to how to 
sometimes, say for example, if it's living more healed and not having anxiety, I've, I've had plenty of clients where they're like, now I don't have anxiety. I'm like, I don't know how to be this person. Now I'm scared because now I'm anxious about <laughs> I'm being, anxious about having, having anxiety. no anxiety yeah. anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, that's crazy. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's accepting uncertainty, accepting, yes, you're okay to kind of change and not know. Because ultimately what we want is certainty in situations. So why people try to control situations, but we need to have certainty within ourselves to be able to handle any situation. Because when you have that, I like, say for example, like, like now I, I feel so confident in my ability to handle any situation that I kind of put myself in, whether or not that it's kind of like just bravado and ego rather than the actual kind of ability. Yeah, but good, uh, but good that you say handle and not solve or get a solution. Yeah. So it means relate to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to not be overwhelmed by it so i'm know that i'm going to be okay so not that i'm going to be able to actually have a solution for every situation i've been maybe i'll get myself in a very uncomfortable situation where i end up being stuck but i can accept and i can be okay with having any kind of outcome but that's a, it's a powerful place to be and that's what people generally want to be working towards because the uh, the anxiety equation is generally overwhelmed by something an external factor or be underwhelmed by your own internal abilities and when we can have so much confidence in our ability to handle anything else it doesn't matter what the other thing is anymore because we know that we're going to be okay versus if we just work on just one thing that we're overwhelmed by if you're underwhelmed by yourself there's going to be another thing that you're overwhelmed by and another thing you're overwhelmed by and this is the trap that people get in because they think oh this one thing is creating anxiety in me so if i make that thing not so scary we can work on that very easy to do but if you've not built up that time to actually kind of build up yourself and your ability to handle some dysregulation or handle discomfort, it's going to be a matter of time until the anxiety comes back because it's, you haven't built up your own internal resources to handle uncomfortable situations in life. Yeah, the biggest safety is to be safe in yourself or be able yeah. to find safety despite what happens on the outside, which is a lifelong journey, but it's the most powerful. Yeah, even the best way to get control is learning how to handle with things you can't control and just find a way to have a meaningful relationship with it you know and sometimes that kind of like it's, it's led me to perhaps more in recent times put myself in situations that are uncomfortable that are kind of like throwing myself at the deep end just to kind of see what happens just to see how this kind of like pans out and then sometimes people do this where they have a a broken neuroception so neuroception is like your body's way of detecting safety or danger so for most people they're the neuroception is broken because they're over-detecting danger everywhere, and that's what's creating anxiety. But some people have the under-detection of danger, where they're making poor choices in their life. They're not recognizing decisions that they're making are actually kind of possibly kind of hurting them because they're putting themselves in certain situations. But I've got to a point where I'm consciously put myself in a sort of uncomfortable situation, but I'm aware of the situation being maybe not so great, just to kind of like get yourself uncomfortable. And, and it, that ultimately is that resilience that you're building. Because you have to be okay with discomfort, but it takes time. And this is one of the reasons why so many people have social anxiety now because of all the lockdowns, mm -hmm. mostly because you've not been practicing socializing. Like you're just mm -hmm. unpracticed. You're like your body's going, this is new, this is different, this is, you know, something that we're not used to. And anything that's novel and your body's not used to, you're on high alert. Now all of a sudden you're on high alert, you notice your body's responding, going, oh, oh, I'm feeling these feelings that maybe I wasn't feeling before being at home. And now we're then trans, like, translating that as, oh, I have this massive anxiety issue. It's like, well, yeah, your body has uh, having an, an overactive sympathetic response, but it's mostly just because your body's not used to the situation. You're just not very good at socializing. Yeah, so, you have an over, overactive sympathetic nervous response 
you worry what people think of you with all these social stigmas about what you can do and what you can't do. You have less social connection and you reduce your immune system or build up your stress with lack of exercise, negative eating, etc. So it kind of reinforces himself. Yeah, it's all done by design, obviously. I mean, any time that we suppress our emotions, it suppresses our immune system. So whenever we're kind of feeling stressed and anxious, we're in a perfect state to, you know, to get ill. And and this gets me a bit maybe to the whole thing. If you see in the movies where in sci-fi, they say like, the danger about humans is their negative emotions. We have to eradicate emotions. So we have a peaceful society and we, we will numb them with the soma, like in a brave new world. And that way we will have more prosperous humanity and better people. Well, I feel like that's definitely the way that China's going, you know, with their whole kind of like social credit system and everything like that. It, it becomes a more efficient society, but a less human society. And it kind of takes us away from who really, truly what we are and, and what nature's intend us to be. And I feel like that is kind of the direction that we're going, you know, teaching people to, to be responsible for others and, and not have own autonomy or self-responsibility is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane to kind of not people that have their... I'm my highest truth. I'm my highest wisdom. Nobody goes beyond myself in terms of authority mm-hmm. and nobody's ever going to be higher than myself. It doesn't matter who you are or what information or knowledge you have. I'm always going to be my highest authority. And that's what should be communicated and should be promoted in everybody to trust yourself more than anyone else. I trust my, myself more than anybody else I trust in this world. But you need to be able to have that, that ability to trust yourself, not just be like, I can't trust myself because I'm not an expert. Or I can't trust my opinion because I mean, I, don't have I have a quote that says, we don't need more technology to keep humanity in check. We need more humanity to keep technology in check because people have never been more lonely, more depressed, more anxious than now. So it's clearly not serving humanity or having us be human or when we define like what makes us human. I think people won't say, oh my God, it was amazing that I gamed for three hours on my phone and got a lot of likes. That probably will not be in the top of experiences of people. So what do we put on the top of that human value hierarchy it's it's come back down to like i always say to people whatever behavior you're doing there's always an intention behind the behavior a need it's trying to meet so i recognize this one of i I am addicted to my phone i i I scroll on social media you know i noticed that when i i I do i scroll and i kind of sat there and thought what is me being on social media trying to do what am Mm -hmm. i trying to get out of this and the answer was connection you know i was looking for connection and I was like, is this really serving validation. the connection? Yeah. And I was like, not really, because you might get a like or something. And then it, it feels fucking meaningless. And you might feel very good. You get a little dopamine rush for about five seconds and it goes. And it's not true connection. So when you start recognizing that the choices you're making and the behaviors that you're kind of doing isn't actually meeting your needs, that's when you can just openly, you know, explore what other ways can I help meet this need instead? How can I more connect things? But I think that the temptation of those things is stronger than people, their willpower. So those choices, always to make a choice, it can become, you know, the will that can be willed, the will that only draws you in. And that is always, you can always make a choice. Really? You think when you put your phone in your drawer, yeah, you can say nine out of 10 times. No, it drains you already of focus. And then the 10th time you give in, you, you cover it with a little bit of guilt again. But like, oh my God. And these things are just so addictive that we almost have to shut them out and have no choice because that illusion of choice is there. And then that you can control it instead of it controlling you. I mean, look at it now in relationship with technology, like it, it controls us instead of we controlling it. 
Yeah, well, we're just not being, we're not living consciously. So they, they say like 95% of our day is completely unconscious. But what is happening with these behaviors, they're just unconscious processes, they're subconscious behaviors that we do because your subconscious can just, just fire all cinders without any energy. It's effortless. It just does it without energy. But for taking conscious effort and being conscious requires so much attention and so much of our energy that it's draining. And we're not kind of giving ourselves enough kind of rest. We're not practicing being conscious. And, you know, taking responsibility is hard. You know, it's very easy. Let me just pacify myself, you know. Let me just self-soothe by kind of like, meeting this kind of need is it's hard work parenting yourself it's like the hardest thing you'll ever do and so i always say to people like I, i'm not a parent myself but a lot of parents a lot of friends that i have that are parents they always kind of comment and say you know i think you'd be an amazing parent i'm like yeah i've had to parent the shit out of myself 24 7 i'm like i'm the worst person to kind of parent it. like not worse but you know what i mean like having to parent yourself and actually parenting yourself mm. is really hard work but ultimately that's what healing is all about. It's feeling in the gaps of the parenting that you didn't receive, being able to give yourself the love and nurturing and everything that you didn't receive, maybe because your parents just didn't have the capacity for it. But for whatever reason, your job is to fill in the gaps that your parents missed. And we can't do that. We find it very difficult because how do we can't do what we never got taught to do. So that's a very difficult thing. So often a lot of my work is, you know, parenting my clients in a way, but parents them through teaching them how to parent themselves. And then when they learn how to parent themselves and start taking that personal responsibility, that's generally when magic starts to happen. And it's often not until, you know, not immediately after I finish work for clients, but generally like six months, years later where yeah. the penny drops are then like, wow, I really, really kind of recognize how much that work we've done has, has changed because it set them on that journey to actually start having that relationship with themselves. And ultimately that's what it's all about. Is there also something in terms of connection that you had with spirituality or something bigger than yourself, which also ha has you be more about letting things unfold or feeling secure or feeling part of something bigger than yourself? Uh, well, my, my biggest kind of spiritual experience or kind of maybe it started my journey was, was when I'd done DMT. That puts you in a situation where you have such an out-of-this-world experience that nothing can explain it unless you've experienced it yourself. And it makes you believe that there has to be something more than this. And as soon as I had that experience, it basically just kind of just destroyed my reality. But it made me have that deeper connection with myself. And the other part, like I, I am a breath work uh, practitioner. So I teach and, and practice breath work. That is a huge, huge part because our, our breath, our life force, our creative force, our sexual force, that's what it is. It's our chi, our prana, whatever you want to sort of call it. That is all controlled through our breath. And we don't breathe properly. We have poor posture. We have, and that's why most people are feeling so lack of energy or feeling lifeless because you don't have any creative energy flowing through you. You don't have that life force flowing through you anymore. But the more you practice breath work, the more you get connected spiritually. And when I practice this breath work called Soma Breath, I'm a Soma Breath practitioner as well. But when I practice that Soma Breath, I do connect to Christ consciousness. I do have that kind of experience with myself. And when you're experiencing that and you, you're connecting to whether a source or God or universe, wherever you want to interpret it, you just, you're having that daily reminder that uh, you are part of something a lot bigger. It's you also develops trust, right? Yeah, yeah. Surrendering to, to the process of life. And, you know, I, I've, I've naturally been someone that wants to control things my entire life. You know, that's yes. that definitely my thing. It's like, no, I, I need to control things. I need to, this is not happening how I want it to happen. So I need to do something different to make it happen. But sometimes we have to kind of let go and just actually recognize if, if life is resisting us, the universe is always speaking to you all the time. And sometimes it gives you encouragement. Sometimes it would be 
providing you with obstacles. And sometimes that obstacles is, is saying that maybe this isn't right for you, or maybe it's the wrong approach or whatever, but you've got to figure that out. You've got to figure out what the universe or the world is trying to teach you in this moment, because every single person right now, your job is to figure out what your current lesson is that you need to learn. And the universe will be communicating this to you in somehow if you're looking out for those kind of signs. Sometimes you'll notice that. Sometimes you'll notice the kind of the world speaking to you at large. But everybody's fucking up. Every single I'm fucking up something in my life right now. You know, there's a lesson that, that I'm being delivered that I'm I'm being called to learn on. And the only reason why I've been able to grow and become the person I am is because I'm I'm looking out for the fuck up. I'm looking out for the lesson. But I can do so compassionately when I'm not judging myself because I understand that this is literally a part of the process. This is this is the only reason why we're here. This is the, the journey of life. And when you figure out how to play the video game of life, you start winning. Because you're like, ah, oh, I get it now. I get the process. I get the journey of evolution. I get how I'm kind of meant to grow spiritually and, and evolve. And I can only do this through having compassion for myself and stop judging myself and being so consciously self-aware that you can actually kind of notice these things. Because most yep. of the stuff, you, you know, these problems, we, we don't even notice that they're problems. I didn't even know what problems were for a long time. Yeah, people spend so much time leveling up in video games while they don't even level up in their own life. Yeah, exactly. so that was always weird about people like, yeah, I'm going to work hard towards the car. I'm going to do this stuff. And I was like, hey, I have a book here about positive psychology. I have a book here about exercise. I was like, yeah, man, that's weird. Like, huh? Like this could maybe change you, you know, for the better. It's that personal responsibility, personal power always has been one of the things that I want to fight for. And I have a mission and I have a unique voice and something to bring to the world. But it just amazes me in the time that we are at right now. So many people are giving their personal autonomy away, their power away, they're ignoring their intuition. They're just selling their body for something that gives them false comfort in the long run. Lack of integrity. People who actually help people breathing, say like tuning with the prana, tuning with the body, and they went with all the measures. Yeah. That is one of the things that surprised me the most, that lack of integrity of people who say one thing, but then when push comes to shove, they don't stand up for their principles or values or their own teachings. Yeah, so I, I think it's great in a way. I, I honestly think that the COVID thing, the whole thing has been amazing in terms of what it's brought to light. Exposing, but, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really exposed to people that are full of shit because you can sort of talk a good talk and a lot mm -hmm. of people do, but when it push comes to shove, like, are you truly aligned with your mm -hmm. values where you're going to go, you know what, this is what I stand up for and mm -hmm. I will die by my sword. I will 100% yeah. die by my sword. Like... Nobody is going to ever make me make a choice that I don't want to make. And it's never, ever going to happen. There's no convincing or no amount of, you know, negotiating that's ever going to make me go against my values. But a lot of people are, you know, their values are weak or they're making decisions that aren't serving themselves. They're not really serving the higher self. They're serving maybe some ego desire and not really truly what they stand for, you know. But a lot of people don't know what their values are. They're only, they don't recognize that all of their values, and you hear it in people, you hear it in what they say because they repeat the same, like the same fucking phrases and catchwords. And you're like, you're not telling me what you actually think. You're literally just repeating something that you've heard, which one is amazingly done well because you can't turn on your TV, walk down the street without seeing a signpost or hearing on a radio without being drummed into yeah, yeah. 24 seven. So I get it, but be aware to actually question your beliefs. Cause actually when you question it, yeah. go, do you actually believe? So why do you believe it? You can't give me an answer. And that's why I say to people, like, if, if I actually sat down and had a conversation with anybody that kind of truly believes and is buying into it, yeah. give me 15 minutes to actually openly ask questions compassionately. And 
I'm pretty sure most people, the penny would drop, where they'd be aware, where they'd be like, oh. And that's the same thing that you talked about before with, you know, relating with uncertainty, relating with the unknown, letting a part of yourself die, which for me is interesting to develop that relationship with truth, with reality, with how things unfold. But most people, when you show them something that is breaking down their narrative, their way of seeing the world, that is so scary to give that up, that they're not willing to go through that process. Well, often, yes, when you see them react with, with anger, because it, it's, it's scary, it's confrontational. So the only way they are to react is to fight back or, you know, with cognitive dissonance where they completely run away from it and they don't want to engage because for them to face themselves is the scariest thing for them to ever do because it means that they have to then accept responsibility for how they feel in their life. And, you know, if you've, if you've never done that, it's a very scary approach to kind of realize that nobody's come to save you and <laughs> you know what I mean you, you are the only person that's going to actually yeah and I think what you, you really. what you work with anxiety it should not be I'm anxious so let's get an outside solution I'm a victim let's put the power outside of myself I would really encourage in line with your mission like what is this pointing towards what's the story what's the need how can I claim this how can I communicate this express work with this that's a lot more powerful than giving your power away with this anxiety and put the power in somebody else their hands which oftentimes can give you the permanent strength or they abuse your anxiety for other things that serve them and don't serve you or keep you dependent and powerless well alluding to that as well i recognized very early in my kind of uh career kind of like doing this kind of work i was a massive saver you know i was kind of codependent where i had i, had, I went to save people i i was doing it for egoic reasons I wanted them to be okay to make me feel okay. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that I was so attached to the outcome where like, I had to get the result. I had to make sure that they was okay because- I will be I okay, okay when, and yeah. then you have a condition. And then you look at the condition, like how could I give myself that condition? Yeah, or, or like, so I'm at that place, yeah. If, if they get a result, it means that I'm, I'm good and then I'm worthy of love or I'm worthy of respect or I'm a good person because I've got this kind of outcome. And when that happens, whenever it becomes- it, it almost became like it wasn't really about them anymore. And I recognized that I was like, this is now becoming a selfish thing because I need them to be okay for me to be okay. And then as soon as that happens, you've lost that connection to the person. And I, I recognized very early on that it wasn't really about the techniques I was doing. It wasn't really about anything else. It was about my relationship with the client and my ability to stay grounded and present myself where I was completely unattached to, to, to whatever they were experiencing. And not that I didn't care, but I was unattached because when you're attached to how they're feeling, it, their nervous system is going to recognize that. They're going to feel uncomfortable and they're going to feel like now I have to perform because now they're expecting me to have a certain response. And if I don't do whatever they're expecting, now I don't fit into this interaction. I don't fit into this dynamic. And a lot of times that dynamic of like someone that's saving the person that needs to be saved, you're just going to keep that person in victim mode because you're now fulfilling each other's needs. But ultimately, what that person needs to do is learn how to meet their own need. So we're not looking for it externally anymore. Exactly. Like it's also relating to how they feel and have the trust. Know that it's a process. Know that you also had your ups and downs instead of looking at it like, I told my clients this, you should get there right now. Yeah. Like, no, they're their own authority. In the end, you want them to be able to deal with it instead of them putting again all the faith in you. You're dependent on them. They're dependent on your reaction if they're a good boy or girl. And, and that's not what we do as coaches. We make ourselves progressively more unnecessary, give a person the tools. It's a lifelong journey, but that way you put the power in them.
And that's obviously that's uh that's one of the biggest pitfalls a lot of coaches and therapists have because they've not done that inner work themselves. So a lot of a lot of people that I've met over the years that are in this kind of field, they get into the field because they need help themselves. It's a very, very common thing. You know, most of the I don't want to say sort of damaged or broken people, but most of the traumatized people are people that are in the field of studying this sort of stuff because we have an innate ability to, or innate needs to know. And very much more myself, I have to understand. I like to understand things. So that's kind of like why I was, when I was experiencing anxiety, I'd done all the courses to understand it rather than actually work with somebody who had it, you know. But when we, when we can kind of like recognize that and start kind of taking responsibility for ourselves, it's when the magic happens. If anybody want to take personal responsibility, work on their anxiety, their emotions and expressing it, can you tell a bit more about where they can find you and about the programs that you offer? Hey, so with anxiety, there's, there's generally kind of like two things that people want to do. They want to learn how to release the emotions and regulate the nervous system. So regulate basically means like adjust. So we're going to need to adjust at any point in our life forever. So say for example, if I'm walking down a road, this often happens and I'm so self-aware now and people with anxiety are very self-aware. That's why they kind of react to what they're noticing. But if I notice that, say for example, there's, there's two dodgy guys kind of walking towards me. Yes, my nervous system is going to get activated. Now, that doesn't mean I have anxiety. That's my body's doing exactly what it's meant for that moment. But regulating means me saying, oh, I've noticed that my body's responding. I'm going to take conscious control now. I'm going to assess the situation. And if I don't need this energy that my body's now providing me with to be able to deal with the situation, I can regulate it and adjust the energy. And I can do that by adjusting my breath. I can do that adjusting my kind of posture, my kind of movement, slowing my body down. And that's you taking control, taking conscious control, because your body's communicating you that as an issue. So this is what I can teach people to do. And what we're doing is, is practicing, 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 because practice makes progress, but also practicing people, teaching people how to let go. Now, letting go is a physical thing. People don't recognize this and they go, you know, I'm not holding on to this. It's like physically you will be. And if you actually tuned into it, you would notice physically there'll be some tension. There'll be some tightness, some, some tightening, some, some, some closing up sort of things somewhere in your body that you'd feel that. And actually the process of letting go is being able to feel safe, to trust and surrender and allow it to flow through you. So when I'm working with clients, I have a four session program. So it's a one-to-one -one program where we're working with those four sessions, 90 minutes session every week for four weeks, because we're building up a skill. We're building up the practice of learning how to go into your body, go into your feelings, address what's needed, meet the need, process the emotions. And when you've done that 50 times, and it's worked every single time. Now, when it comes to a certain situation on your own, you're going to have that trust and it's the trust in that process. If I taught you that process and just said, this is how you do it, go and do it. When it comes to the situation on your own, your stories are going to come up and you're not going to sort of believe and trust in the process. But feeling is believing. So when you actually have a disconfirming experience with me, where we're practicing that and you know it's working, now you believe it. And now that's when magic happens. So the one-to-one -one program has the four one-to-one -one sessions involved with it, but it also has the safe and sound protocol. So the safe and sound protocol was developed by Stephen Porges. Stephen Porges was the inventor of polyvagal theory, which has transformed the whole face of therapy and the whole modeling of understanding of mental health issues. But a safe and sound protocol, it's an audio program, a five-hour audio program, where it essentially filters out high and low frequency sounds. So it's only got middle frequency music, and with this music, essentially it just sounds like, like when you're on call. So when you're on call like, and you hear like an elevated music, be like that. 
but it trains the smallest little muscle in your ear, essentially the smallest muscle in your body, to actually pick up on the cues of the human sound, or the human voice. Now, our bodies always, when we connect to people, we're listening to the tonality of what somebody's saying before we're even hearing the, what's actually kind of being said. And that's what we're detecting is whether what's saying is safe and dangerous. So I went through the program a couple of months ago and I didn't really think much of it because I've, I've done a lot of kind of self-work. But what it does, it kind of retrains your nervous system. It rewires it for safety and connection versus defense and protection. Now, if I'm sitting down with somebody, so if I sit down with a client, if I sit down and connect with you, I can put myself in that safety and connection state because I know I'm consciously going into this kind of situation and that's just where I want to be. But naturally, as I was going about my business, I was probably still naturally in my defensive protective states because that's just how my body learns to operate. It's what my nervous system is wired for. It's what I've kind of always done. And, and what this thing done is, as I went through the program, all of a sudden, like, it wasn't like an obvious thing that you noticed, but as I was going about my business, I started getting loads and loads and loads of strangers start a conversation with me. And it got to a point where I was like, why the fuck is everyone talking to me? Because naturally people don't normally mm -hmm. talk to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Generally I've got like maybe like a, a busy face on or I'm just giving off cues to say, look, don't talk to me. You know, people say, say like a Mr. Bitch face. But it's because my face was in a, 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 I was in a defensive state. Yeah. And when you're giving off that cue, everybody's body and energy reads, you're not open for connection. You're not open, you're not signaling safety. But because it's rewired my nervous system, all of a sudden now people are just opening up to connect with me and they're just, just randomly connected even when I'm not in that kind of state. And it becomes such a kind of like powerful thing and it just works so well with doing this kind of work. I now won't work with anybody without also doing a program, so that's included with it. So you rewire and shape, reshape your nervous system. And that's one of the biggest issues that a lot of people miss, a lot of therapists and a lot of coaches miss because they do a lot of the trauma work in terms of the releasing this certain response, certain this emotion. But if you don't know how to actually train your body to be in a state of safety and connection, you're just going to default back to your old behaviors because that's how you, your body knows how to operate. And where can people find out more about you and follow you? And most of my stuff's on Instagram, so at Anxiety Specialist. So if you just find, follow me on Instagram, I'll post those content on there. Any kind of links on there you'll find to book a consultation, anything you can find, you can find on there. Last question that I have, you have some tattoos. Is any of the tattoos related to anxiety or a huge insight you had? Yeah, so <laughs> there, there seems to be a pattern. Years and years ago, it'd be like, I'd go for a breakup and I'd have this tattoo. It's almost like um, I read that this is people with borderline personality disorder do because it's like when something happens out of control of their life, I need to change my image to control something to make mm -hmm. me feel like I'm in control of my life. But the first tattoo I got was an old Japanese proverb of, of fall down seven times, rise up eight. And that, you know, logically think about it now as an INTJ, I was thinking less times more than you get up because it has to be an equal amount. But I understand the meaning of it, you know, and, and it was always kind of like, you're going to fail and you're going to always fall, but you just have to make sure you just keep getting up and keep going and commit to it. And this, the second one was a someone who's a mentor to me and i know that we've kind of discussed this before like i didn't have very good what is growing up i still don't really kind of like looking up to people and putting people on a pedestal but there was a guy who was a kind of like person trainer on these message boards and he probably was one of the biggest introductions to spirituality and you know changing your kind of mental process in my life and he had the same tattoo and the tattoo basically says in in chinese it says make peace with whatever comes your way and the idea behind it is that we can't change or control what happens to us. The only thing we can do is change our reaction to it. The sooner you can make peace with whatever comes your way, the sooner you can take back control, and the sooner you can move towards whatever it is that you can actually want in life. 
because you know like the same saying the same sentence what we resist persists so yeah make peace with what comes your way that's probably the most linked tattoo to anxiety awesome man we end up with the dao with the way with the flow thanks for being a guest on the podcast and making people step into their power become less anxious and become more mature healthy emotional human beings man thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast thank you for having me it's been a pleasure if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.